See that big one in the middle? It's a tent of Goliath. He's three times the size of a normal man. He's got a sword as long as a telephone pole. In the days when Solomon was king, two women came before him with a very strange case. We love stories! It's time for the Appleseed, filled with stories for you and your family. I'm Sam Payne, your host. And if you're new to the show, then you should know that when we say stories, we're not talking about the news. We're talking about tall tales, and folk tales, and fairy tales, and personal tales, historical tales, and more. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. On today's episode of The Appleseed, we're going to bring you a couple of tales inspired by or influenced by stories from the Bible. You might think of your childhood as we bring you our first story. That's when you probably became acquainted with the story of David and Goliath. But the way Philadelphia storyteller Ed Stivender tells the story, well, let's say that it begins perhaps with the notion that David is often depicted as playing the harp. And anyone who plays folk music or blues or rock and roll knows that there's another common instrument, a pocket-sized instrument that is commonly referred to as the harp. It's the harmonica. And that's where this cool version of David and Goliath begins. It'll have you tapping your toes along with Ed Stivender. His version is called David the Dancing Boy. And we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. Harp. Story I'm going to tell you now is about a fella who played the harp. Some say he played this kind of harp with strings. But I'm going to pretend for today's purposes that he played this kind of harp. David, he was a harping boy. David was a dancing boy. David was a shepherd boy. David was a singing boy. He sang, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you sing that back to me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise be the name of the Lord, yeah. David was a harping boy. David was a singing boy. David was a dancing boy. David was a slingshot boy. Nowadays we have slingshots. Fork could stick with a rubber band. You put a stone in the pouch and do it like that. But in those days you made a sling out of a two pieces of string and a pouch in between. You put the stone in the pouch and swing the whole thing around your head. Something like this. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Let go of one of the strings and it would shoot out and get whoever you're shooting at. Like this. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. Got him. You want to try that with me? Whoosh, 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 whoosh. Got him. <laughs> David was a harping boy. David was a dancing boy. 
David was a singing boy. He sang, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise be the name of the Lord, yeah. One time a big old bear come up on David's sheep, going to catch David asleep, but David's not asleep. He's got his sling. You guys ready? Got him. And that bear ran away, and this is what David said. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He protects me from the bear. Praise be the name of the Lord, yeah. One time a big old lion came up on David's sheep, going to catch David asleep, but David's not asleep. He's got his sling. You guys ready? Got him. That lion ran away, and this is what David said. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He protects me from the bear. He protects me from the lion. Praise be the name of the Lord, yeah. One time his father, Jesse, called him down from the mountain. He said, David, come on down, boy. David came down from the mountain. His father, Jesse, handed him a sack of sandwiches to take to his brothers fighting in the Israelite camp. Israelites in this story are the good guys. He says, now I want you to take these down to your brothers in the Israelite camp and come right back. All right. So David headed down. Sling on his shoulder. Harp in his hand. Lord in his heart. He got to the Israelite camp. He saw his brothers all walking around with their heads hung low. What's the matter, everybody? David, you better get back up the mountain with your sheep. There's no place for a kid like you. You see them tents? He looked across the battlefield. There were the tents of the Philistines. See that big one in the middle? It's a tent of Goliath. He's three times the size of a normal man. He's got a sword as long as a telephone pole. He's got a spear as long as a flagpole. Came down yesterday, he slew ten Israelites, one blow of a sword. Better get back up the mountain, boy. There's no place for a kid like you. Well, the Lord is my shepherd. He protects me from the bear. He'll protect me from the giant. And so David started out, heading down toward the battlefield. He's passed in front of King Saul's tent. King Saul Solomon said, Hey, boy, where are you going? Going to meet Goliath. Well, you're going to need some armor, boy. So they put armor on his legs, armor on his arms, armor on his chest, big old helmet on his head, and he fell right over. <laughs> Took his helmet off the head, arms, and chest, and legs. I don't need no armor. I got the Lord. He's my shepherd. He'll protect me from any old giant. And so David started down to the battlefield, playing his harp, not really looking where he's going bumped into something. He went knock, knock, knock on it. It went clang, clang, clang. There was a tree right next to it. David went knock, knock, knock. The tree went clang, clang, clang. He took a few steps back, looked up. <laughs> so the Israelites only have a little dog to send out against Goliath. Well, little dog, I'm going to crush your head. Goliath lifted up one of his legs, going to come down on David's head and make David dead, but... David is a dancer boy. Oh! Goliath takes his other leg, going to come down on David's head and make David dead. But David is a dancing boy. Oh! Goliath takes out his spear, going to run David through. But David is a dancing boy. Oh! Goliath takes out his sword, going to cut David in half. But David is a dancing boy. <laughs> David takes five steps back, reaches into the creek bed, takes out five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch. You guys ready? Whoosh, 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 whoosh. 
got him. And that giant fell down dead. And this is what David said. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He protects me from the bear. He protects me from the lion. He protects me from the giant. He has turned my morning into dancing. Praise be the name of the Lord. Yeah. David turned around and said, the whole Israelite army coming after him. He figured he was in trouble. He started running away. They caught up to him, put him on their shoulders, took him back to King Saul. King Saul looked at David and said, you did good today, son. I'm going to give you a job. You want a job? Yes, sir. And that day, David got a job working for King Saul, playing the harp. that version of David and Goliath with the harmonica at its center and even a lot of opportunity to sing along and be inspired by the story of that ancient boy hero. David the Dancing Boy is the name of that version of the story told for you by Philadelphia storyteller Ed Stivender. In just a little bit, we're going to bring you a story from Joel Ben-Izzy about King Solomon and a Tokyo subway. (laughs) You won't want to miss that story. But first, here's a memory of mine. It's a memory of making music with people who became friends. And it's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. When I showed up at the recording session that day, I was a little nervous. I was a singer for hire, and I had been sent a simple iPhone recording of the song we were going to record and a text message containing the lyrics. I was supposed to show up at this fancy recording studio with the songwriter in the control room along with the recording engineer, and I was supposed to sing this song with a full band. And I hadn't met the songwriter, I hadn't met the engineer, and I hadn't met the band. In came the fiddle player and started to set up. He took out his instrument, he rosined up the bow, and just as we had begun to make small talk, in came the banjo player, and behind him came an electric guitar player. They set up their stuff, and we all introduced ourselves. Next came a keyboard player and a bass player. They, too, introduced themselves and started to get their stuff set up and ready to record. Each one of us had heard the same little iPhone recording of a song and received the same lyrics by text message, but we'd never been through the tune together, not even one time. We had, most of us, only just met in that moment. And in another moment, tape was going to roll, and we had to sound like we knew what we were doing. After all, the songwriter was in the control room, and, well, we were getting paid. So we took a minute to talk. Nobody told the bass player what notes to play or the piano player or anybody else. I mean, the best bass player in the room was the bass player. I mean, the best keyboard player was the keyboard player. They already had the best ideas about what they'd play. And nobody told me what to sing. But 
There were all these places in the song that we did talk about, places where for a moment we'd all be playing the same notes or places where it was important that the banjo and the electric guitar be playing harmonies that had to be kind of planned out or places where the drummer had to scale down his playing to make room for the fiddle solo. And we talked through the beginning and the ending of the song so we all knew exactly how to start together and how to end together. As we talked, people made notes to themselves with pencil and ran through little pieces of the song together. And that was before we ever hit the record button. It was kind of a detailed conversation. And as it turns out, we did it. We recorded that song like crazy, like a band that had been working together for years. No kidding, we sounded great. Each person in that recording studio was a person of gifts, ideas, skills. And if the bass player had said, what should I play here in the verse? I think the feedback of everyone in the room would have been, hey man, you do you because you are awesome. But again, there were parts of the song where you do you wouldn't have gotten us where we needed to be because in those moments, we very much had to do we. For a couple of hours in the studio, these seven guys, keys, guitar, bass, drums, banjo, fiddle, and me, all completely different guys playing completely different instruments, not to mention the songwriter and the engineer, so that's guy number eight and guy number nine, we all had to coexist. And coexisting and creating with each other wound up being a combination of respecting each other's abilities and ideas and independence, and also talking together about those parts of the work that we had to do together, that we wanted to succeed at together. It was like a mini congress or a mini marriage or a mini family or a mini, oh, you can see where I'm going with this, and how many applications of that recording studio experience I might be able to find for a life that has to be lived on a planet that contains other people with whom we all hope not only to coexist, but to create and grow together. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal, a story about learning to work with people who are different from one another. Maybe you've learned some of the same lessons. Maybe you've learned them on the football field or in the high school choir or working behind the counter of a restaurant. Because the lesson is important, the story of how you learned it might be one that the people you love might like to hear. So open your mouth and tell the story. Memories of that kind of storytelling can last a lifetime. Now up next, a story about King Solomon and a Tokyo subway from Joel Ben Izzy. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. A moment ago, if you're just joining us, we heard David the Dancing Boy, Ed Stivender's entertaining version of the David and Goliath story. And you also heard an entry in the Radio Family Journal about learning to make something worth making by treating with care collaborators of all kinds. And up next, we get another story influenced by a well-known Bible story. It's told for you by Joel Ben Izzy, a storyteller who lives in the Bay Area in California, but who has traveled the world collecting and telling stories since the early 1980s. And here he recounts the story of the judgment of King Solomon. You know how that one goes. Two mothers come to King Solomon with a baby, each one insisting she is the baby baby's real mother. Well, this story is really the springboard for a Japanese version of this tale, a tale Joel Ben Izzy discovered on a Japanese subway of all places. The story is called A Tale of Jerusalem and Tokyo. Here's Joel Ben Izzy on the Appleseed. The first part of this story comes from the old city of Jerusalem. It's a hustling, bustling marketplace when it's open. And it's a hustling, bustling marketplace even when it's closed. But in that part of Jerusalem, they tell a story that happened long ago. And it's a story that I'll bet you've heard, and it's about a baby. It's said that in the days when Solomon was king, two women came before him with a very strange case. Between them, they held a single child. And each one claimed to own that child. One of the mothers said, Your Honor, King Solomon, this child is mine. The other said, Your Honor, King Solomon, this child is mine. Solomon checked both their stories, couldn't decide, and said, Well, because you both claim to own the child, there's only one thing I can do. He picked up his sword, held it over his head, and said, Since you both claim to own this baby, the only thing that I can do is to cut it in half. And as he was about to bring the sword down, one of the mothers said, stop, it's hers. Solomon turned to that mother and said, now I know that it's yours. For the real mother loves the child. The real mother would sooner give that child up than see it killed. And thus was the wisdom of King Solomon. It spread throughout the land, throughout the world, in fact, to distant places even as far as Tokyo which is where the second half of the story comes from. Let me tell you where I found it. I was in a subway station in Tokyo called Shinjuku Station. It is the largest subway station in the world. It has a population of one and a quarter million people each day. There are schools, hospitals. It's a larger population really than San Francisco. You could spend your whole life and never leave that subway station. And the interesting thing is that all one and a quarter million of these people ride the trains at the same time. Eight in the morning. And at that time, when they ride the trains, there's a tremendous pushing and shoving, and they pack as many as they can on the car, and the doors go beep. And as you're waiting for them to close, you say, come on, doors close. We can't fit any more in. But more people come and shove themselves in. And a whole group of high school students will pull themselves in the train and squeeze themselves in and hold their breath. And now there's absolutely no more room for anyone else. And then a group of business people will come. They'll stand in front of the door. And then behind them come a group of pushers. 
These are people whose job it is to push people onto trains. And they wear white gloves, they have blank expressions on their faces and push. <laughs> until finally they've crammed as many people and more than could possibly fit into that train, at which point the door close, and as the doors close, you can see fingers sticking out, you can see coattails, purses, and then whoosh, that train's gone off to the next station. Of course, that next station, as the door opens, people spill out of that train into the station, and there's a kind of a siphon effect, so that everyone who was in there is pulled out. And as I was riding this train, and I was in there, and I was pulled out, I was thrown across this sort of plaza, and found myself in front of a book stand where there were all sorts of old Japanese books and comic books, and one which caught my eye because it was in English, and it said, Stories of the Japanese King Solomon. I thought, now this is interesting, the <laughs> Japanese King Solomon. And within the book, I found stories of Uka, of old Edo, which is the old name for Tokyo, who was nicknamed Solomon in Kimono. For he was said to have the wisdom of Solomon. And that's where the second half of this story comes from. Edo was a thriving city. And Uka held court in Edo. People would come with their problems, with their questions, and he would decide fairly. So it was that one day, two mothers came into his court. Between them, they held a single child. And each mother claimed the child as her own. Uka smiled. He said, since you both claim to own this child, there is only one fair thing to do. With that, he reached for the sword at his side, held it above his head, and as he was about to bring it down, both mothers said, stop, it's hers. <laughs> he looked back and forth. He said, why do you both say that? And bowing to him, they said, honorable Judge Uka, you must know. Everyone has heard of the wisdom of King Solomon. <laughs> now, Uka was stuck. Word began to spread, and the courtroom began to fill up with passers-by who thought this might be an interesting case. And as they filled the courtroom, Uka said, there are other ways to determine who owns this lovely child. It was a beautiful child. And Uka said, the child knows who its real mother is. Uka placed the child before him on the ground, placed one mother to one side, one mother to another side, and said, baby, crawl to your real mother. The baby crawled to Uka. <laughs> he said, we shall look carefully at the baby to see which mother it most resembles. And looking carefully at the baby, it most resembled Uka. He said, this is a difficult case. <laughs> but I know of only one way to solve it. Yes. Follow my reasoning, please. You know that I am called Judge Uka, correct? <laughs> I am also known as Solomon in Kimono, for I'm said to have the wisdom of King Solomon, correct? Correct. It's said that I've never made an incorrect decision, correct? Correct. Wonderful. So all I need to do is be able to predict the future. If I can look one year into the future, I will see what decision I made. And that will be the correct decision, correct? Correct. They were a little more hesitant on that last correct, but what could they do? He was the judge. So he said, bring me 
the Chinese fortune-telling implements. You see, the Japanese, when they would tell fortunes, went back to the old traditional Chinese methods of fortune-telling, and they brought Uka a goldfish bowl because he had heard that by counting the bubbles from the mouth of a goldfish, he could answer any question. If it was an even number, it was yes. And if it was an odd number over the period of an hour, it was no. Or maybe it was the other way around. He wasn't sure. <laughs> but so he had the goldfish bowl there. He had brought to him some sticks of the I Ching, some coins of the I Ching, some cards of the I Ching, and a cup of tea because he was thirsty and could drink it and look at the leaves. And as he sat looking at these things, he realized he did not know anything about fortune telling. He sat there for some long time. Finally, he jumped up. He said, please forgive me. They said, what? He said, the truth is, I'm not such a very good fortune teller. I haven't done it so much before. And when I meant to look one year in the future, I mistakenly looked 20 years into the future. What did you see? I saw something sad. I saw that this child this beautiful baby grows up and is in a terrible accident. Yes, he's hurt, he's injured very badly, and his family must give up everything they have to take care of him, to feed him, to clothe him. And he is a source of great sorrow for his family. Alas, I did see the real mother. And the real mother is, at this point, one of the mothers said, stop, it's hers. Ah, so, the real mother is indeed her. And now, I'll finish my prediction. That child recovers from that accident, becomes strong, healthy, and wealthy, bringing great honor and joy to its family. And it lives with its real mother, the real mother that loves the child, whether the child does well or does badly, whether the child is healthy or is sick. And thus is the story of Judge Uka Solomon in Kimono. Joel Ben Izzy with A Tale of Jerusalem and Tokyo from a collection of stories called Stories from Far Away. I've been aboard those Tokyo subways, and this story brings back some memories. And it's always good to hear a tale of King Solomon. The story of his wisdom applied to the two women and the child is in the Bible. But in the Jewish storytelling tradition, Solomon has become the central character of hundreds of stories about the wisdom of that ancient king. What a pleasure to bring you that story from Joel Ben Izzy and also David the Dancing Boy from Ed Stivender and an entry in the Radio Family Journal. We hope you'll join us again 
again on the Apple Seed. And before we go, we want to remind you that for the next few weeks, we're engaged in a month of service projects, working hard with our audience and with our BYU Radio family to complete 10,000 acts of service. And we hope you'll be part of it. An act of service can be anything, making a meal for someone who needs one, mowing the lawn of someone who needs it, telling a story to someone who might could use it. Find out more and let us know how you're serving at byuradio.org slash service. I'm Sam Payne. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.